This is The Facebook Files, a series from The Journal. We're looking deep inside Facebook through its own internal documents. If you haven't already listened to parts one and two, start there. They're already in your feed. Before we had access to these documents, we knew, as Facebook knew, that all sorts of bad stuff happened on Facebook. That's our colleague, Justin Sheck. And every now and then, the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or BuzzFeed or someone else would report about some horrible thing they saw happening on Facebook. And Facebook would respond by saying, thank you for showing us this horrible way people abuse our platform. And they would take down the offending content. Offending content like Mexican drug cartels using Facebook to recruit hitmen and post videos of executions or groups in Ethiopia and Myanmar using Facebook to incite ethnic violence. What the documents show is that in many cases, Facebook knows about the bad behavior, and they've known about patterns of bad behavior, sometimes for years. But in a lot of cases, they don't make changes to the systems that allow the bad behavior to happen, and other times, they make changes that aren't sufficient to fix the problem. And that means that the bad behavior continues. According to the documents, one persistent problem is human trafficking. People have been bought and sold on Facebook. Does Facebook know about it? Facebook has known about it for at least a few years and has not taken steps that are effective to stop it. Has Facebook done anything about it? They've done a lot, but they haven't done things that work. The documents show but they have taken major steps that come when there are significant PR or commercial consequences to not acting. Now, Facebook's a company. The central focus is its business. And the core of Facebook's business is attracting people to Facebook and retaining them. And there are times when things Facebook could do to make the platform safer conflict with that business priority. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaum. This is The Facebook Files, part three. Coming up on the show, what Facebook knows about human trafficking on its platform and why the company has failed to stop it. This episode is brought to you by Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync so that even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account, giving ambitious companies like yours the precision, control, and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. Facebook says it prohibits human trafficking on its platform and has been combating it for years. And the documents show that in 2018, the company put together a team of experienced crime investigators to fight the problem. You know, to their credit, Facebook went out and they found people who had experience working with refugees and asylum seekers and other people who had experience in law enforcement or in advocacy for victims of human trafficking. The idea was to, as they put it, 
understand and disrupt how human trafficking criminal networks organize and abuse Facebook. The documents show that this team investigated a number of human trafficking networks on Facebook. One investigation was called Op Dubai. It focused on an international sex trafficking ring run out of the Middle East. The report on Op Dubai includes granular details about how this ring used Facebook and Instagram, which Facebook owns, to operate. It wasn't just one small piece of an operation that would be, say, like, you know, trying to recruit people. Kind of the entire ecosystem of of a human trafficking ring could exist on Facebook. Researchers at Facebook ran a search for the hashtag body-to-body massage that's commonly used in Dubai to advertise sex disguised as massage. And they found that traffickers had more than 100 Facebook accounts and were spending a lot of money on ads to advertise sex services in Dubai on Facebook. Using Facebook's tools, the traffickers were able to precisely target the ads to men in Dubai. And the ads bought by this ring brought in $152,000 to Facebook. That was on the one end. On the other end, they had more than 100 Facebook and Instagram accounts that were under fake names that they used to recruit women, mostly from Thailand, some from Morocco, India, Indonesia, Pakistan. The traffickers created more than 100 fake Facebook and Instagram accounts to recruit women with the promise of well-paid work. They would use these Facebook and Instagram accounts to say, you know, look, we have high-paying jobs in the UAE come to the United Arab Emirates. The traffickers would use Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp, which is also owned by Facebook, to coordinate the travel of the women. What was sort of amazing about these investigations to me is that because they had access to Facebook posts and Facebook Messenger, they were able to see communications between the women and their employers and between the women and friends and contacts as well In these messages, the Facebook team could see what happened to the women. Once they got to their destinations, there were no high-paying jobs waiting for them. Instead, the women had their passports taken away, and they were forced into sex work. The women communicated about how they were forced to perform sexual acts in what they called a massage parlor. And they were not given proper access to food. In some cases, they said they were only allowed to eat rice. There was a manager who they referred to as a madam who would keep half of all the earnings. So they weren't even getting the full amount of money they were taking in for the acts they were forced to perform. Facebook said it didn't report the traffickers to local law enforcement and didn't alert the women's home embassies. The investigation found traffickers had bribed the local police to look away. When we asked Facebook for comment, The company spokesman, Andy Stone, said Facebook has a dedicated team that works with law enforcement agencies across the globe, and that in instances of imminent harm, the company might provide law enforcement with relevant information. The company said also that it launched new software programs this year that make it harder to find content related to sex trafficking. After the Op Dubai investigation, Facebook did take some action. What it says in the report is that all accounts and assets associated with this activity have been disabled. That's the quote. Of course, in many cases, these people could create new accounts under new fake names to do the same thing. 
Knowing that the traffickers could easily reappear under new accounts, the team also recommended permanent changes to Facebook. One of them is a small change, and that would just be to make it so you can no longer have a credit card account for advertising without your real name attached. Did Facebook make that change? From the documents that we're reviewing, they appear to have done nothing. Did the team make any other recommendations? Yes. They recommended another piece of action, which would be for Facebook to clarify its policies and how it handles ad revenue associated with human trafficking. And the idea there is Facebook is not making much or really significant amounts of revenue on human trafficking ads, tiny piece of the money they bring in. But the fact that they're making any money on ads for human trafficking is a problem you know, ethically and potentially from a PR perspective. So they're calling for the company to change that. But the documents show Facebook didn't make that change either. Facebook continued to keep revenue from ads bought by human traffickers. Facebook spokesman notes the company gives ad credits to groups that fight human trafficking. The documents show that the team conducted other investigations of human trafficking on Facebook. Some focused on domestic servitude. Typically in this situation, women are coerced into working as cleaners or nannies for little to no money with no way to leave. The U.S. State Department says this is a type of human trafficking. And it's what happened to Patricia Wanja Kamani. My name is Patricia Wanja Kimani, but most of my friends call me Wanja. I am 28 years old. Wanja is from Kenya. And earlier this year, she was trafficked to Saudi Arabia after responding to a job post she saw on Facebook. She told her story to Neha Wadaker, a freelance journalist who's been working with us on this episode. I was going through a hard time financially. My younger child was born with a heart condition. I felt like I wouldn't be able to provide for him medically and also support my firstborn daughter to go to school. It was so much pressure on me being a single mom. And at that time, I was not employed. I needed to provide rent, to provide food. And if I needed to do that, it meant that I needed to work. Wanja decided to look for a cleaning job overseas, thinking she'd make more money that way. It's not unusual in Kenya for women to go to the Middle East for domestic work. But human traffickers also use these types of job posts to recruit victims. Wanja joined some Facebook groups of Kenyan workers in the Middle East, and soon she saw a job post that looked promising. It was house-to-house cleaning jobs in Saudi Arabia. There was a free ticket, free passport, free accommodation, and free medical insurance. And this was a good deal. And I felt this could work. Facebook has banned job posts that advertise free visas and free travel because they're used by traffickers. Yet this post was still up. And Wanja responded to it. She started the process of taking the job. She gave away most of her belongings and arranged for a friend to take care of her children. And Wanja would soon discover... All these things they had put on Facebook were not entirely true. At the Nairobi airport... Wanja found out her pay would be less than she was promised. And if she quit, she'd lose her visa and be in Saudi Arabia illegally. After learning this, Wanja tried to back out, 
but was told her contract had already been sold. So to back out, she would have to pay the agency. And she didn't have the money. If I had the choice to uh, revoke this contract or to refuse to sign it, I mean, it would have been so easy for me. But the fact that I was told I should refund their money, yet I had no money, it's just, they just force you politely to go because you've already gone so far with the process, so there's no turning back. When Wanja arrived in Saudi Arabia, she says her passport was confiscated and she was forced to work for an abusive employer. She's calling me an animal, a dog. It's always shouting, always shouting and swearing and insulting. And the work was a lot. And it's nonstop. Temperatures can go as high as 110, 112 degrees Fahrenheit. It was really hot. How many hours a day did you work? On average, 20 hours a day, being forced to work until my feet, my hands, and my face swelled, and I was still being forced to work. And when I contacted my office about the same issue, they told me, can you quit that drama and continue working? So I felt I was really on my own. Back at Facebook, the team that had been investigating human trafficking was seeing stories like Wanja's and they put forward ways for Facebook to crack down. In one document Justin reviewed, the team recommended building automated technology to spot human trafficking. This document is called Domestic Servitude. This shouldn't happen on Facebook and how we can fix it. It says that Facebook set up an automated system called the Civic Integrity Real-Time Detection Pipeline, which was automated and was there to flag content on the site that could be human trafficking related. But this automated system didn't stay active for long. The employee who wrote the document said they found content on Facebook sites that violated the company's domestic servitude policy and should have been automatically flagged by this pipeline tool. But the content wasn't flagged because the pipeline had expired. It wasn't active anymore. And we can see in the documents this employee is asking the company to reactivate the pipeline but it remains inactive. When asked about this, Facebook said it has dozens of similar software tools currently in operation that help identify human trafficking-related content. Another document describes a planned campaign to target messages on Facebook to possible trafficking victims, educating them about their rights. And this planning document suggests the company should use a light touch with Arabic language warnings about human trafficking so that they won't quote, alienate buyers, meaning Facebook users who buy the domestic laborers' contracts, often in situations akin to slavery. Alienate buyers. Yeah. Facebook is very concerned that any protective measures that they take could have the unintended consequence of reducing the number of people on Facebook. And that's a pervasive concern. And as a result, they often end up not taking steps until there's a crisis. When asked about the employee's concern about alienating buyers, a Facebook spokesman said that is not the company's position. He said, quote, we prohibit human exploitation in no uncertain terms. And he added that Facebook has no incentive to keep bad content on its site. After the break, 
another tech giant confronts Facebook about human trafficking. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. This episode is brought to you by Citizen M. There's no better feeling than finishing work for the day, sipping an ice-cold soda and nuzzling down into a Citizen M bed. Recharge your brain and batteries at Citizen M Hotels. They're in the tech cities, Menlo Park, Miami, Austin, New York, San Francisco, where people like you work, sleep, and play. Book now at citizenm.com slash the journal. According to an internal document, in 2019, Facebook got a call from the BBC. They had questions about the company's track record on human trafficking. The BBC had been working on this documentary that showed that women in Kuwait were being bought and sold into domestic servitude, so basically forced labor. So ahead of that going live, The BBC contacted Facebook and said, we found all sorts of violations. They were violating hashtags, in particular that Facebook, in response, did a search. Facebook did what it had done before. It took down the offending content. So they basically removed the bad behavior. They didn't change anything systemically about what it was about Facebook that allowed this kind of thing to happen. Initially, that seemed like the end of the matter. But then, Facebook got contacted again. The BBC then went to the other companies it planned to mention in its reporting, and one of them was Apple. And they planned to say that apps available in your app store are facilitating the sale of people. And Apple was furious that human trafficking was going on in Facebook and told Facebook that if it didn't solve this problem on its platforms, that Apple would take the Facebook and Instagram apps out of its app store. And we know this from an internal Facebook document called Apple Escalation on Domestic Servitude. And the document is sort of a post-mortem showing how Facebook dealt with Apple's demand that it remove human trafficking. Whereas... The BBC contact saying we see people being bought and sold on Facebook was not treated as an emergency within Facebook. The Apple contact was very much treated as an emergency. Getting kicked out of Apple's App Store would have been a big disruption for Facebook's business. The way the Facebook employee who wrote the document puts it is that removing our applications from Apple platforms would have had potentially severe consequences to the business. And if you remove the apps from the app store, that could mean that, as Facebook says, millions of people won't be able to get on the sites anymore. 
Faced with a big risk to the business, Facebook took more steps to stop human trafficking than it had after investigations like Op Dubai, and more than after the BBC reached out. In the Apple escalation document, the writers say, quote, To mitigate against this risk, we formed part of a large working group operating around the clock to develop and implement our response strategy. To address Apple's threat, Facebook made a number of changes. First, it did a more extensive search of its platform and flagged a lot of suspicious content that needed to be taken down. They were able to identify over 300,000 pieces of what they call potentially violating content across Facebook platforms. Disabling, deleting thousands of accounts, in some cases disabling devices, meaning allowing certain devices to no longer have accounts with the company. Facebook also launched an automated system for proactive detection of human trafficking posts in both English and Arabic. And the company pledged to go even further. Another thing they said they wanted to do in the medium and long term in response to Apple's call for change was putting in place detection and preventative measures to, quote, eradicate domestic servitude from the platform. So their goal was to take domestic servitude completely off Facebook and Instagram. These steps were enough to make Apple back down. Facebook's apps stayed in the App Store. Facebook's spokesman said the company has been taking action to combat trafficking since 2015. And, quote, our goal remains to prevent anyone who seeks to exploit others from having a home on our platform. But even so, human trafficking has continued on the platform. Remember Wanja Kamani? She was trafficked earlier this year. It just happened. Just happened this year. After, you know, a couple of years of Facebook spending large amounts of time, money, and effort trying to prevent exactly this kind of thing from happening. After two months in Saudi Arabia, Wanja decided she wanted to go home. But the agency that had brought her there said she had to pay them to leave. They asked me for 200,000 shillings, which is roughly $2,000. And at that point, I felt like my life was more precious than the 200,000. So I would rather mobilize whichever way or whoever so that I could get the 200,000, pay them and buy my freedom. Wanja didn't have that much money. So she did the only thing she could think of. She wrote about it on Facebook. I put up a post. I'm looking for a human rights advocate because I'm in Saudi and I'm not doing well. So that's when I put up the story that um, I'm being asked for 200,000 shillings so that I can return. I can be released to come back to Kenya. So people started saying, where is the number of the agent? Put the number here. We have to get to the bottom of this. One of them even put up a video on YouTube explaining this whole scenario and reading my charts with her, how terrified I was, how desperate I am, how I'm being coerced to say I'm okay while I'm not. So uh, this agent backed down and said I don't have to pay the money. These pleas for help worked. The agency dropped the fees, and with some other assistance, Wanja was able to get on a flight out of Saudi Arabia. There was this screen in front of my seat that shows how far we are. 
the moment I realized that we had crossed the border, like we are somewhere above the Red Sea coming towards Egypt, that's when it hit me. I am officially outside the borders of this place. And I felt so much relief and I slept. Wanja's flight landed a few hours later in the Ethiopian capital of Addis Ababa. When we landed in Addis, it's when it hit me that, wow, it's been a while since I saw all these green trees and this cold breeze. I was so used to these very extremely high temperatures. So for me to just experience this cool breeze in Addis, that's when it hit me, I'm getting closer home. And then I posted a photo on my Facebook and said, here in Addis, it's a beautiful morning. And wow, I felt I'm going to meet my kids. I'm going to be reunited with my family. I'm going to land home and be free and walk in the streets and collide with people without feeling a thing. I felt so much appreciation for my home generally. I was just so happy to come back home, really. Today, Wanja is back in Kenya, reunited with her children. She says that despite what she's been through, she still uses Facebook. She uses the app for advocacy to help other women who are survivors of human trafficking. But she says Facebook should make some changes. So I think there should be some sort of verification on every job advert on Facebook. What do you think about the fact that you found this job on Facebook, but it was also Facebook that helped you get home? I feel like social media should be taken seriously in as much as uh, we use it to interact and share stories and moments. There are so many people who are giving out false information. So if there is a way it can be regulated for some of these opportunities to be verified before they are approved, I think something should be done about that so that nobody just dives in blindly. The point that Wanja is making about verifying posts is a complicated point to make and something that goes to the core of what Facebook has been wrestling with around human trafficking, around political misinformation, around all of these other things. And at what point do they move from being a platform for people to say whatever they want to something that is heavily policed? And that's at the core of so many of these documents we've read. Facebook does not want this stuff happening on Facebook. Nobody at Facebook wants this happening. Everyone thinks it's bad, but The company, at its core, success for Facebook means keeping the largest number of people on the site for as much time as possible. That's how they sell advertising. That's how they get advertising revenue. And so any decision that they make at the company to make things safer has to be weighed against the effect it will have on keeping as many people as possible on Facebook. On the next episode of The Facebook Files, we take a look inside Facebook's algorithm. So people inside Facebook started to notice that this 
was effectively highlighting the very worst kind of content, stuff that was divisive, really negative, and just kind of represented the worst parts of humanity. This series is part of The Journal, a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Thanks to Jeff Horowitz and Newly Purnell for their reporting in this episode. Your hosts are Ryan Knudsen and me, Kate Leinbaugh. The series was produced by Pia Gadkari, Max Green, and Martin Kessler, with production help from Enrique Perez de la Rosa. This episode was edited by Catherine Brewer, Gerard Cole, and Annie Rose Strasser. Special thanks to Beth Blackshire, Colin Campbell, Anthony Galloway, Falana Patterson, Lydia Polgreen, Brad Reagan, and Matthew Rose. Our engineers are Griffin Tanner and Nathan Singapak. Our theme music is by So Wiley and remixed by Peter Leonard. Additional music in this episode from Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasulka. And thanks to the whole journal team. Priscilla Alabi, Sam Baer, Annie Minoff, Laura Morris, Afif Nasuli, Ricky Novetsky, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Matthew Sherman, and Matthew Schiltz. Thanks for listening. Check out part four of the Facebook files. It's already in your feed.